Hello, hello, hello. Thank you for coming back. I'm Jenny and I survived childhood. Um, again, I just, I need to thank everybody so much for all your support. And did you know that you can actually support my anchor channel with a monthly contribution? Um, you get to pick and how much you want to contribute and that helps me create more of these episodes and keep my channel going so thank you for your support in that regard as well normally I give a trigger warning um, when I do these podcasts but today it could be a trigger warning, but I don't think so. I'm really, really trying to help somebody who's um, having some trouble parenting. Before we begin, I also want to put it out there that if you or someone you know is experiencing a domestic violence situation, and that includes child abuse, you can contact the National Domestic Violence Hotline, and that number is 800 799-7233. That number will be in the description box. And also, if you have any questions or comments, anything you'd like to let me know, of course, you can leave me a voice recording on the Anchor app, and you can email me, and that will be in the description as well. But my email address is isurvivedchildhood at gmail.com. So, I want to cover whether or not abusers can change and I did a previous podcast specifically about um, domestic violence between partners and today I want to talk about people who abuse their children and can they change and um, in the previous podcast I had mentioned that in the domestic violence community amongst partners there is a great belief that once an abuser always an abuser and I said that I didn't really think that this was fair, and I always try to be fair, but I didn't think this was a fair statement because everybody has the capacity to change. It's a question of will you change? And also, if, if an abusive person can't change, then somebody who's receiving abuse can't change as well, which means that we're always going to put ourselves in situations where we're being abused. And we know that that's not true, that we can become survivors and we can become victors in our own struggle and trying to overcome domestic violence. Um, I need to pause for just a moment and I will be right back. apologize for that interruption. Somebody walked in unexpectedly. Um, so anyway, do can people change? I do believe, yes, I have to believe that people can change. Um, and that's a general statement. But I think in when it comes to abusing children, I think there's a little bit more motivation. If they're your own child now, you know, there's lots of others, people who can abuse children. Um, step parents or new people in your relationships, um, other t family members, 
people in our community, but I'm going to be speaking specifically to parents today. And the reason for that should be obvious, but if it's not, just to get it said, it's the parent's responsibility. We all know this, but it is the parent's responsibility to make sure that that child is safe and healthy and grows up to be an adult. That's the parent's responsibility. So all these external people, people in the community, people in the extended parts of the family, and although sometimes they may be living in the house, they are not the actual parents. And it is that parent's responsibility for those people, you know, people from the outside who might abuse your children, it's, it's their responsibility to confront it and stop it, etc. So just to get that part out of the way, we know that. But when it's a parent who's doing the abusing, these are the people that I really want to talk to today. Can you change? Of course you can change. Is it hard? Yes, it's hard. You have to change behaviors. Um, but like I had said, I think the motivation is a little bit more because now you're talking about your own flesh and blood. Um, so I think a lot of times people don't, I think people know when they're doing the wrong thing, but they're not, they're not taking responsibility until there's some, something that happens that forces someone to take accountability. So, you know, if somebody may be progressing towards being abusive, but don't even acknowledge it until they actually see it with their own eyes. For instance, they leave some sort of a mark on their child or, um, you know, some kind of physical harm greater than a red mark, I'm going to say, like a bruise or a cut, or maybe they push them into something or they fall down the stairs, you know, those kinds of things. And that's when they have a wake-up call. Or worse is when... Uh, child services becomes involved and even then some people I think are in denial and we can talk about child services I have mixed feelings about about that particular dynamic in our government but um, we're going to assume that whatever investigations that they're doing are legitimate and there's a legitimate cause for concern for today's purposes <clears throat> so yeah sometimes that's the wake-up call and we do know that they have the capacity to remove the children from our home and that it could be very heartbreaking and you know as a parent you would want to know how to get your children back and um, I'm going to say some things, speaking directly, because what I'm thinking, second to worst case scenario, worst case scenario being that you've actually, oh, God forbid, I guess there is a trigger warning here, and if somebody, you know, we hear stories about people who murder their children, and I, I'm not, I can't talk to those people today, but people who have hurt their children, or neglected their children, and their children are alive, and there's still hope for that child. Those are the people I want to talk to. Um, so what do you do? Or what, 
do you do if that could potentially happen to you? Because I'm hoping that somebody listening to this all of a sudden opens their eyes and sees what they're doing and doesn't have to go through something a little bit more traumatic, but that's where we're going to talk about things. So there's, there's several things that you can do. The first thing I would suggest is that everybody get into therapy, everybody. So this is, this is a little bit more involved than just going to one meeting a week or one appointment a week. This is in this particular case, because now we're talking about dynamics of multiple people. And I think that each person needs their own private time with a therapist. So each parent, that's mom, dad, and child. And I believe, I'm not 100% certain about this, and it may depend on the age of the child. Um, so an older child may need their own alone time. But younger children maybe could have a session together with one therapist. But everybody needs to have their time to express and work through all these different things that have happened to them and how they're feeling about it in private with an individual person who's going to listen solely to them. Then I also think that there are, there's a necessity for some family time together. So parents with children, parents with each other, how are we going to work together as a team? And the team includes the parental team, mom and dad, or mom and mom and dad and dad, depending on your family, and also parents and child or children, um, and how we're going to work through things. And I, I keep saying this, but I really, really do believe that this is vitally important that somebody understands the dynamics of abusive relationships as a therapist. So you really, when you're searching something out on your own, you need to ask those kind of questions. If the legal system's involved, they may assign somebody to you who specializes in those cases. But either way, I do suggest that you um, use somebody who has a specialty in, in abuse and violence. Now, if the courts are involved, they're going to they're gonna have a whole big long list of things that you need to do to get your children back, and it's not going to be an overnight thing. So what my suggestion would be, aside from the therapy, there's a couple other things I would suggest that you do. Um, first of all, if you're allowed visitation, make sure that you go to those visitations that it's supervised. Make sure that you're not alone with the child. Every visit is going to be important. And while you're there, make sure that you interact with that child. Help them with their homework. Play a game. Talk to them about what's going on in their life. On a keynote, I would try to, I would recommend that you try to keep things positive. The child may want to talk about their circumstances, but you want to keep things as positive as possible. So if your child is asking you, when can they come home? You just say, well, you know, I'm working on that right now. You need to stay with wherever they're staying. And as soon as I can get you back in home, I will. 
you know, keep it light like that. Um, don't cry in front of your child. I know you may be heartbroken, but you keep those, those feelings to yourself. And if your child is not in the home, you've got plenty of other time where you can cry and mourn and work through those more complicated feelings. But don't do that in front of your kids um, in this particular circumstance. And um, whoever's taking care of your child at the, at the moment, you want to talk to them too. find out their perspective on how the child is doing. Are they sleeping at night? Are they having trouble in school? Are they eating? Are they showing any new signs of behavioral problems and things that may have be coming out because of the circumstances? Um, that kind of stuff. And on a side note, I wouldn't really divulge too much information to this person. This person is taking care of your child and their interest is in the child and they're not professionals, okay, usually. Um, they're maybe professional parents, they're supposed to be anyway, uh, you know, but they're not your friend and they're not therapists. So don't let them, you know, don't discuss that part of what's going on with them. Just, you know, I would, I would, my personal strategy would be trying more to get information about the child and less about divulging information to whoever's taking care of them, whether they're in foster care or another family members watching them temporarily while you get your life back in order. Just my advice. Just my advice. Because the reason why is they're also talking with the caseworkers and the social workers and other people involved in child services who are responsible for making sure that your child is safe. So if they misconstrue something that you say, that could backfire in your, you know, backfire on you. So just keep that information to yourself as far as that person's concerned. Um, if you're, if your child, it, um, as long as your child's in social, in foster care, Keep this in mind, too. Um, you're still the parent. You're still custodial. They're just, you know, legally, you're still the parent. You still have certain rights as a parent. So if there's meetings at school, it's conference time, your teacher wants to, the teachers wants to speak with you, go there. You have a right to take your children to the doctor. I wouldn't keep that a secret. Um, matter of fact, um, one of the things that I would suggest is, um, I know a lot of times children who are, are, you know, suffering through this kind of thing, they have issues and they may or may not need medication. Uh, I've seen situations where the teacher's having trouble with the child and they want them to be medicated and people are so quick to hand out pills, my personals suggestion would be to um, get that child tested to find out if they need medication or they need some kind of behavioral therapy maybe they're acting maybe they need both you know but maybe they're acting out based on what's happened to them and it's not a biological problem okay and that's a key thing and um you know ADHD and ADD these are biological problems that means that that has something to do with the chemicals in the brain Okay, just like 
any other part of your body. It's physical. And that's why people with these disorders behave the way they do and have the problems that they have. Whereas a behavioral problem is the way somebody processes something. So for instance, if a child feels like they're never going to get any attention unless they're throwing a tantrum, that's because they've been programmed to believe that that's the only way they're going to get any attention. That's a behavioral issue. So if you can understand what I'm saying with those two comparisons where they're having trouble sitting still and listening in class, there may be a biological problem. Whereas if they're having outbursts, for example, that may be a behavioral problem and not a chemical problem. And that's what we need to find out before we start giving drugs to our kids. Just my thought. Um, one other thing that comes to mind, and that is, I was talking about this whole list of things that they're going to give you if you lose your children. Um, there may be issues with your housing situation. Do your children have an adequate place to sleep? You know, do they have water, electricity, food? Is the place clean? All these different things that affect a healthy living environment. Yes, you want to get that taken care of and you want to make sure that it stays that way because there will be home visits. Take pictures. I would document everything. Every time you call a caseworker, keep a notebook of the questions that you have and what the response was. Um, and then going back to the list again, the list of things they tell you to do. If, if they tell you to do two things, my suggestion would be to do three. If, if they tell you to do three things, try to do five. Um, maybe... There's a program that you can get your child into, some after-school activities or summer, you know, like a day camp, um, some kind of, you know, sports or um, things that you would normally do as, your, as a parent, you can still do while that child is in foster care. And um, the things that they tell you to do to help yourself figure out what you did to your child and why you're doing it and how to do something different. Those are the things that you want to also address. Whether you, you know, you, you just want to show the courts and the system that you are a motivated parent and you want that child back. So you've improved the housing. You've been doing individual therapy. You're making sure that you have every visitation with your child and you're doing it in a responsible adult way that you're interested in their education, that you're interested in their health care, and you're interested in your own growth. So maybe you take a parenting class, or you take an anger management class, or something else that would help you develop. Maybe you've joined a group, you've, you realize that you have an addiction problem. So now not only are you going to therapy, you're, you're also going to an NA or an AA, or... Um, other types of things, whatever your particular back issue is or your root issue is that puts you in this situation. Maybe, maybe the spouse that you're with is not cooperative um, and you need to figure out how to work that out. You know, do you need to leave this person? All these different things. I mean, every individual situation is going to be different. 
So I can't come out with a, a concrete plan, A, B, C, but I can tell you that if you go above and beyond what the expectation is, you will get your children back and you will grow and you will change. So for me to say, as I had said before, can an abusive person change? I do believe they can, but they need to be motivated. Um, I hope that this, I hope that this podcast wasn't too difficult. Um, I had a little bit of interruption. It was actually my cat. Sorry about that. She came busting in. She knows how to open the door. And it's, it, this is a tough topic to talk about, but I want to help people get through these situations and we need to work on raising our children. So thank you so much for listening. Please share this if you know somebody who might need this help. All of you stay safe and have a good day. God bless.